everybody and welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. I'm James Rudd, the Digital Media Editor at Heart. Today I've got a slightly different show for you. We're joined by Dr. Hazel Wallace, otherwise known as the Food Medic. And Hazel is a fully qualified medical doctor who also has a deep interest in diet and exercise. And she's written two best-selling books all about how to maintain a healthy lifestyle with diet and exercise. And she spends a lot of time debunking dietary myths and debunking quacks and really doing very positive work for the community. And she joins me for a long conversation, which we'll split across two podcasts. And we talk about diet and exercise and how we can incorporate these both into our own lives uh, to reduce our risk of heart disease and other diseases, and also the kind of advice we can give to our patients. It's a very wide-ranging discussion, and uh, I really enjoyed talking to Hazel, and I hope you enjoy it too. I'm delighted to be joined today on the Heart Podcast by Dr. Hazel Wallace. Hazel's better known as the food medic, and is combining a career in medicine along with a really serious uh, writing habit. She's the author of two best-selling books on uh, diet and healthy lifestyles. She's also a qualified personal trainer and has a real interest in promoting healthy eating. Hazel, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Hazel, perhaps we can just start off by you telling the Heart audience uh, how you got into this stuff. How did you get into being not only a junior doctor, but also passionate about, uh, about diet? I started my medical career um, in Wales. I moved from Ireland when I was 18 um, with a medical science undergraduate degree. And from there, I moved into postgraduate medicine, um, which was a four year degree. And then following that, I moved to London to pursue my foundation training. But during my training at medical school, I became really fascinated about food and exercise and how it impacts our health Um, and it really started as a personal kind of interest where I wanted to get myself fit and healthy and I realized there was a wealth of information out there that I felt wasn't really being translated very well um, on social media or in magazines and I guess I wanted to be that voice of reasoning um, and distill the information that was in papers in a very digestible format and that's when the blog the food medic uh, was born so I carried the blog throughout my medical school training and I ended up writing two books the food medic and the food medic for life and uh, pursued a qualification in personal training so now I'm, I'm still working as a doctor I locum um, and I run the food medic almost full-time and that includes the website social media and a podcast now and you're also doing a, a master's degree in, in public health nutrition and clinical nutrition as well. Yeah, so I start that next month at UCL, which I'm very excited for. And I've been a big fan of your podcast really since it since it came out. It's a, a really popular podcast in iTunes and we'll, of course, put links to all your uh, the places you can find the podcast and all your other social links. But on that podcast, you interview experts in diet and exercise and really try and pick their brains about uh, what are myths, uh, what's really useful, what isn't useful. And uh, I found that very useful for my own life. And I really wanted to get you on the podcast to talk a little bit about that and really how diet can help us live a healthier lifestyle, particularly when it comes to, to heart disease. 
perhaps we could start off uh, talking about diet, if that's okay, and maybe mention some essential foods that are linked to heart health. Yeah, absolutely. We have classically and historically focused on nutrients and, and their the impact on health and, and also cardiovascular health, whether it's carbs or fats. And there's definitely a trend to move away from that and focus more on dietary patterns. The Mediterranean diet, for example, DASH diet, um, focusing more on, I guess, diet as a whole as opposed to nutrients or food groups. But for the purpose of this conversation, I think there's a couple of foods that's, that are important to mention, focusing first on, on fats. So I guess looking at all of the information, polyunsaturated fatty acids, omega-3 and omega-6, have the strongest evidence in terms of the benefits they confer, particularly from a cardiovascular point of view. Um, and that's general consensus across across the board, whether it's American Heart Association, SACIN here in the UK and, and the World Health Organization. Um, and that's largely why we are um, recommended to have two portions of fish a week. And one of those portions should be oily fish because they are rich in EPA and DHA, which are omega-3 fatty acids. And they're thought to improve um, cardiovascular health from for various reasons, whether that's improved heart function, but also reducing risk factors associated um, blood pressure, cholesterol and uh, triglycerides, but also more novel markers as well, uh, leptin and inflammatory markers. So I think there's a lot of observational studies backing this up, but there is there's also a recent systematic review and meta-analysis looking at this. And they found that actually consuming oily fish can indeed reduce triglycerides and improve HDL cholesterol. So there's definitely a benefit there. I mean, um, there is a recent study that came out. I don't know if you if you came across it on omega-3 and it was a Cochrane review. And they said actually that there's little or no evidence to say that increasing omega-3 um, improves mortality or cardiovascular health. But when you really, really look at that study, most of the evidence that they've pulled together is, is observational. Um, and it's studies based on supplements. And what we know with supplements is that, and I'm sure you'll agree, that foods and supplements are very different. Personally, my point on the on the whole matter is that it doesn't change my stance on omega-3. I don't, I personally wouldn't recommend people, whether they have cardiovascular disease or not, to take an omega-3 supplement. I think what we can get from our diet, and if we can put food first always, that's probably the best approach. And again, that that's, that's my approach to really anything when it comes to nutrition. It's it's a food first approach. And then we just supplement on things that we're, we're missing. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, Hazel, I, I was aware of that study and I was I was going to bring it up. But as you say, most of the criticisms of that review were that it was looking at people that um, identified as, as taking over-the-counter supplements rather than necessarily eating oily fish twice a week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, it, you know, it's not only omega-3 that we get in fish as well. There's uh, plenty other nutrients. So I guess as a whole, I, I think encouraging people to have oily fishes is something that we can we can all do i know there's issues again around uh sustainability of fish and fish stocks and things like that and also um some people have concerns over pollutants but we know that having two portions of fish and one of them being oily i don't think is is completely going to cause too many issues around that and then i think fats aside moving forward to whole grains and fiber and I think this is something that we all tend to know and it's 
it's been a general recommendation for a long time go for the brown option go for the whole grain option but we we don't really meet that those targets here in the uk i think we get about 18 grams of fiber a day and we should be getting 30 grams but even using those numbers isn't very helpful for a lot of people i know it's not really tangible for patients that i work with to say you know eat X amount of grams of fiber. I think speaking in foods is probably more helpful. And actually what we know is that an additional seven grams of carbohydrates um, in terms of fiber, dietary fiber, can reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. But if you put that seven grams of fiber into, in terms of food, that's about one portion of whole grains, and that could be uh, brown, red, brown bread, uh, cereals, brown rice, brown pasta, um, plus two servings of fruit or veg day so I think speaking in foods is, is often more helpful than than speaking in grams when it comes to this kind of thing yeah I completely agree and that's that seems very sensible it seems to fit with the British Heart Foundation advice that I was I was looking at before we started speaking anything else you want to mention about um, heart healthy foods or any other aspect of, of eating I think just on the back of um, the whole fiber topic, oats in particular got a lot of interest um, in terms of their benefits for cardiovascular health because of the fiber that they have in them, and that's um, beta-glucans. And actually, the um, the EFSA have allowed um, have kind of allowed the following health claims to say that foods that have beta-glucans, so oat containing foods can say that they reduce cholesterol so it's kind of like a scientifically backed claim and which is why you see it on like lots of different oat cereals or um, products in health food stores so encouraging oats in particular out of all the whole grains in in the diet is actually proven to reduce blood cholesterol and so that, that I think that's quite interesting and then I think although we said eat lots of fruits and fruits and vegetables for the fiber content there's also Another reason for that is because of all the polyphenols or plant chemicals that they contain. And interestingly, um, there's been a lot of focus on this and, you know, from cocoa bean, green tea, but also um, blueberries. And I think blueberries tend to be picked up by the media a lot and they say it's a superfood and for lots of reasons. But there's a particular type of uh, polyphenol in blueberries but all types of blue and red uh, fruits and vegetables so that includes aubergines and blackberries and blackcurrants and also raspberries and strawberries and they're anthocyanins and these um, kind of compounds in particular seem to confer benefits for cardiovascular health. I don't think we're at the point where we're going to be prescribing berries per se, particularly in an extract form. But it's interesting in terms of something that we may be moving towards in the future where we encourage patients to have particular colours of fruits and vegetables because of the benefits that they confer. Um, and I did mention chocolate, and that's because of the cocoa flavanols in chocolate. Again, it's really interesting um, when you actually look at the evidence there. And there does seem to be quite a bit to say that cocoa or the, the flavanols in cocoa can reduce blood pressure. But in terms of advising that on a population level or putting it in dietary guidelines, I think it's tricky because the type of chocolate that they're using in the studies, I very much doubt it's the type of chocolate that most people can get their hands on. Um, but it's still interesting. Yeah, it is. And it's... Um... One of the most popular papers that Hart published last year, in fact, was was a 
a sort of positive study linking chocolate to heart health. Um, and as you say, they were using, I'm assuming, super expensive dark chocolate with a really high cocoa content in that study. Yeah, that's the thing. But people run away with that and then they say, you know, chocolate's good for you. And it's the same with wine. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, a little bit of, uh, of what you fancy is probably okay. But uh, yeah, people do take it too far. Absolutely. Anything else you wanted to to mention? I mean, the, the, there's always the thorny issue of, of carbs versus fat and, and just how many or what percentage of our calorie intake we should get from those foods. I mean, has that sort of been settled, do you think? And uh, you see, obviously, we see a, a proliferation of high fat, low carb diets and things in the media. Um, I tend to try and stick to the British Heart Foundation recommendations. Are those sound or do you think um, they need to be updated in light of some of this new work? I think they are, you know, the British Heart Foundation is very much um, kind of echo what the dietary guidelines in the UK say and also really across the world. Um, in terms of the low, cap, low carb, low fat argument, um, I don't think it's settled because there's always going to be camps on either side um, promoting for and against. The difficult thing is there's no real definition of low carb or low fat and it varies from anything that is slightly reduced from someone's normal baseline to as something as low as 20%. The issue I have when it comes to going low anything is when we replace when we reduce that nutrient, it's always replaced with another. And the question as to what, what that other nutrient's going to be is really what depend what kind of decides how healthy that diet is. So for example, um certain studies have concluded that replacing saturated fat, for example, with carbohydrate has has no or increased risk of cardiovascular disease but these studies tend to not distinguish between the type of carbohydrates they've replaced um which is really important because what we know is that replacing saturated fat for example with either whole grain or or refined carbohydrates actually has oppositional effects so i think it's not only the issue of reducing the nutrient, whether that's fat or carbohydrates, but what we're replacing it with. Um, and I think there's a clear hierarchy. And we know that polyunsaturated fats um, appear to offer the greatest benefits when we replace them for saturated fats. And again, monounsaturated fats, which here in the UK and particularly in, in Europe, we tend to follow or are advised to follow a Mediterranean style diet which is really is the you know there's a huge evidence base behind that and that is largely focused around mono unsat uh, monounsaturated fats and um, whether it's olive oils avocados nuts and seeds and that kind of thing so I think the most profound reductions in risk for mortality and cardiovascular events happen when we swap saturated fats for polyunsaturated fats but there's definitely a ceiling of how much polyunsaturated fats we can use. And we because they're essential fatty acids, we don't need that much. Um, so I think in terms of looking at the diet and when we recommend that 30% of it, our intake should be fats, I think we should prioritize uh, polyunsaturated fats, so PUFAs, and then after that, we should try and make up the bulk of the fats from monounsaturated fats. Um, I think... When it comes to saturated fats and that argument, whether we should be increasing um, our intake of that, I just don't think the evidence stands up to scrutiny when we really look at it. Um, and again, looking at the hierarchy of evidence and also the hierarchy of health benefits, when we look at the different fats, 
I think it would be it wouldn't be sensible and also practical on a population level to start recommending that everyone goes low carbs and increases their saturated fats. And that's not to say that certain doctors or healthcare professionals haven't found results with their patients when they've gone low carb. But the question is, again, it's the quality of the foods that are in the diet. When you go low carb, how low are you going? And also what are the fats that are replacing that? Because again, coming back to the Mediterranean diet, that is, yes, a high fat diet because it's 30 to 40% fat. But if you look at the type of fat that's in that diet, it's largely um, unsaturated fats, which are um, polyunsaturated fats, monounsaturated fats. And there's only about 8% saturated fats um, on average. Here in the UK, we're recommended to have 11% um, saturated fats. So it's below the average anyway. Um, and, and we've got so much evidence for that, that that is that is the diet, I guess, that would offer us the greatest health benefits, not just from a cardiovascular point of view, but on for all cause mortality. And I think that's where I draw the line on this. Um, it's not that, you know, we should be going to war on either camp, low carb, low fat, but really we need to, like we would with anything, whether it's, a, you know, looking at different drug trials, we need to see, look at the evidence and the totality of evidence looks towards this and it, it definitely is not in favor of saturated fat or a low carb diet yeah it's fascinating isn't it and as you say we're, we're not only in the business of trying to prevent heart attacks and strokes of course diet has been shown to have a you know profound uh, influence on the chance of getting cancer and various other ailments so uh, it's important to to look in the round yeah, and I mean this this week that study came out on um, low carb and high carb diets and how they were associated with increased mortality. And I think there was like there was quite a lot of controversy on on um, social media because those in favour of low carb diets kind of were angry about this, and then those who are in favour of the current guidelines were like, yes, we were right. And I think there's a danger in that in itself. And yes, it did show us that, you know, moderate intake of carbohydrates, that's about 50% of carbohydrates, seem to show um, the greatest reductions in all-cause mortality. But what that study also focused on was that the low-carb diets that were high in in animal-derived protein and fat sources were less healthy than those that were um that had plant-derived protein and fat intake so again it's not just looking at individual nutrients it's where are these nutrients coming from um, and are those sources healthy which is why I personally believe that moving forward in any guidelines we should be giving people um, a bit more on in terms of what foods they should be eating instead of what nutrients they should be eating and although again we spoke about the British Heart Foundation and their guidelines, which are very much aligned with what we would recommend. Speaking in terms of unsaturated fats, polyunsaturated fats is fine when you're speaking to other doctors or academics. But when you're speaking to people who aren't a scientific audience, I don't think that that really hits home uh, for a lot of people. And you do get like, you know, foods that are full of unsaturated fats that can also be unhealthy and, and whether that's, you know, different oils or, or butters and, and animal proteins, it varies greatly. And it's the same with carbohydrates. You know, it's very different having a refined carbohydrate 
uh, or sugar compared to a whole grain and we know that and we know that it like I said it offers completely different results in terms of health benefits as well thank you for your insights I mean these are fascinating insights and it's great to put it into some sort of context for everybody Thank you.